0: In looking in our morning services at a series uh, beginning in the new year, we didn't think it would take this long, but you know what Edward and I are like, so um, it's called The Heart of Jesus, and uh, we want to know Jesus better and know the heart of God uh, better and go deeper in our relationship with Him, to discover not just through Jesus' life and the things that He did, but also trying to look a little bit deeper into the heart of God, and we've discovered that He is, as He has always been, good news, Good news for the discouraged or the frustrated or the weary, the disappointed, the cynical, the empty, the broken, the hungry, the faithful, the joyful, the expectant. And today I want to uh, just think about the heart of God uh, revealed in the Old Testament. I heard this recently on our Alpha course. I like the God of the New Testament, but I'm not sure about the God of the Old Testament. And I thought, what a brilliant thing. They've started to read the Bible. Now, I do confess that when people say, you know, I want to read the Bible, I tend to say, well, just start in the New Testament and dip into Psalms. No, they've gone straight through Genesis and on. And I can understand where they're coming from. It's like they're feeling that, You know, the God of the Old Testament is the one before he became a Christian. (laughs) Don't know if you've ever thought anything like that. And forgive me, Lord, if that's (laughs) blasphemous or anything like that. And particularly because we read the Bible with 21st century eyes. Yet in Hebrews 13 verse 8, it says about Jesus that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. In fact, in the Psalms, there's a Psalm 55, verse 19, says, God who is enthroned from of old, who does not change. So we really need to know what actually God says about himself, about his own heart. How did he describe His own heart. So, I want to look at some of the most revealing passages in the Old Testament about the heart of God. And we can therefore compare how he reveals himself in the New Testament as well. So, we're going to listen to Moses talking with the Lord. And that's from Exodus 33 and 34. And these amazing passages that speak of a relationship with God. So from Exodus 33, verse 12 to 14, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. But if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you. And continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. I just love Moses. The way he just talks to God in that way. He was a friend of God. But he reminds God that the people he's been called to lead actually, they're your people. I find that so encouraging, especially as a pastor. Whenever I find challenging moments, I say to God, Well, they're your people. <laughs> And the Lord replies, "'My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest.'" But then Moses pushes in. He he presses in further, and he says in verse 18, "'Now show me your glory.'" And the Lord said, "'I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence.'" I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of a rock, just in a narrow channel, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Moses asks God, show me your glory. I wonder what comes to mind when you think of the glory of God. You might be thinking of a great theophany, which is a sort of Visible manifestation of the glory of God. I only use the word theophany because Edward's not here and you're missing him. And the theological words that he brings. He senses his love, by the way. Or do you think of the creator God displaying his glory in creation, the, the wonder of it all? The immense size of of the universe. The billions and billions of galaxies that he's created. That we cannot even begin to see far enough. And we are impressed with Mars. And we think we're so clever. And it is amazing. But the billions and billions of galaxies that God has created... Maybe we think of his glory as a sort of terrifying voice from heaven, a smoking mountain, a holiness that cannot be matched, that is beyond our comprehension. But I find it fascinating that when Moses asks these things of God, how God responds, he says, I will make all my goodness pass in front of you. All his kindness, all his faithfulness, all his gentleness, all his character, because it's who he is. His glory is who he is. He goes on to speak of showing mercy and grace to whomever he wills. So, when we speak of God's glory, we're speaking of who God is and what He is like. That distinctive resplendence that makes God God. And we may be surprised by the terms in which God sets out what His glory is. I have discovered over the 54 alpha courses that we have run that many people have an innate fear. That God is not good. Or that he's an overbearing tyrant. That he's actually just out to see what we do wrong and point it out. And I have to tell you that that is a lie that comes from the enemy that he has been peddling from the very beginning. Don't trust God. Don't believe God. And maybe sometimes, even as Christians, and we know who he is, and we've experienced his goodness, there may be this tiny, tiny doubt that, uh, that surfaces from time to time that, is he really that good? And does he love me so much that it would never change? That he will never turn his face away from me? I read this week in my Bible readings of a story of the talents. It was a parable that Jesus told. And, and he gives sort of gifts to different people in this story, the king. And they have to go and do things with it. And I'm struck by the third servant who gets given a little. And he, he says, I just buried it in the ground. I didn't do anything with your gift. I just buried it in the ground. And, and uh, the master says, why did you bury it in the ground? And the servant says, because you're a hard man. That's who he thinks he is. Jesus is so not that. God's heart is for you. He loves you. He is good all the time. In Exodus 34, we're tapped on the shoulder when God reveals his heart to us. From Exodus 34, verse 5 and 7, we read this. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, the great I Am, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's the heart of God in the Old Testament. Maintaining love to thousands, or you can interpret or uh, translate that, a thousand generations. And forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. But you have to hold that in balance with Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. Of those who love him and keep his commandments. And many have seen these passages in the Old Testament as that high point of self-revelation of God of his heart. Revealing his very heart. And we find that it is the same. The heart of God has never changed. He loves us. He is for us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His glory is goodness. His glory is love. His glory is who He is in His character. There is no one like our God. When I was at college and I had to study comparative religions, there is no one like our God. Every religion is about us performing to appease God, somehow to earn his mercy and grace and get better. Whether it's reincarnation and coming back in a different phase or whether it's the judgmental God who will weigh us in the scales. Jesus reveals that God is the one who comes after us and is the same in the Old Testament. Think of how Jesus describes his own heart in Matthew 11, verse 29, which is the sort of base camp of our series when he describes his own heart, the only verse in the New Testament where Jesus actually speaks of his own heart. And he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God does not reveal his glory as one who is exacting. And harsh, just out to catch us. But we hold in balance that He is not just an overlooking God or a tolerant God where sin does not matter. Sin has to be dealt with because it's what separates us from Him. But we also need to understand He is not one who is disappointed and frustrated with us. Have you ever felt that God has been disappointed with you? That is a lie. He is not frustrated with you. It's not who he is. He loves you. His heart has always been merciful and gracious. Yes, he could blow us away with his majesty. He could blow us away with that revelation of his resplendence and holiness, but he seeks to pursue us and reveal himself to us in love. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. And I was reading one of the commentaries this week about this slow to anger, and literally in the in the Hebrew it means, forgive me, long of nostrils. Oh, that's interesting. That will perk people up if they've never not if they've drifted off asleep. Well, long of nostrils, what's Phils on about? But the image of this, if you picture an angry bull pouring at the ground, breathing loudly, nostrils flaring, it speaks of anger. The Lord is slow to anger, long-nosed. He does not have his finger on the trigger, poised to take us out. He has his arms out wide, wanting us to take us in. Slow to anger, abounding in love. That's our God. Yes, he can be provoked to anger, no question. But it's interesting that his love is there constantly. He needs to be provoked to anger. And his anger is always righteous. His mercy and grace and love need no provocation, it pours out of him. Yes, judgment is real. Evil will be dealt with once and for all. All injustice will be put right. And we know that part of us just rejoices at that. All the evil we see in our world will not triumph, it will be dealt with. Jesus has dealt with sin, He died for it on the cross. When we trust in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. He's dealt with death. Death couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead. Death is done away with. And all evil will be done away with. Not yet, but it will be. All justice we can leave to him because he is the just one. And we'll all face him one day. We'll all have to give an account. And Jesus says the worst thing we could hear is, I never knew you. To be found outside of his love because we've refused it or even opposed it is an awful thing. But his heart is divine mercy ready to burst forth. He needs no provoking to love. It's who he is. Our God is abounding in love and faithfulness. The Bible deconstructs the lies of the enemy. That niggling doubt sown by the enemy that he's not good. He is good all the time. He is not disappointed with us. That's why he's revealed his heart to us. His love never fails. It never runs out. We sing it. Never gives up, never dries up. Notice, I don't know if you noticed that, but it does take in the third and fourth generations. Did you notice that? Paying for the sins. But when you balance that, that his love extends to a thousand generations, it eclipses the third and the fourth generations. Yes, sin has to be dealt with. And he has done it. Sin is the most expensive thing in the universe. And we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Sin, you know, second week on Alpha, the revelation that people realize is that sin is just not being perfect like God is. And he has bridged the gap for us to have a relationship with a holy God because none of us are perfect. Jesus died for our sins. He keeps... His covenant of love. There is no termination date on His commitment to us. You cannot get away from His grace. You cannot outrun His mercy. You cannot evade His goodness. Yes, you can turn it down. You can refuse. But His love, His grace, lasts a thousand generations. And it's not to be counted off a thousand. It means just endless. So for those who come to him, for those who are his, his goodness swallows up our sins. His death has paid the price. His mercy travels down a thousand generations. And we're so grateful. In some respects, the Christian life from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumptions about God fall away and be replaced by what he says about himself. And it can take some of us a long time to believe that. And sometimes we need to be re-believing it again and again and again. That he loves us. He is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in our lives is not the sin that he tempts us to. But the lies he spreads about God. causing us to run and hide from him when we should be just running to him. And, of course, the final proof of God's heart and his revelation is seen in Jesus. Moses cannot see God's face and live because it would incinerate him. But read these words from John the Apostle in his first chapter of his gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came full of grace and truth. We are privileged to see the glory of God in Jesus. The one who went to the cross for us, descended for us and rose again for us. I hope that that guy on Alpha will come to know That the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. The same yesterday, today, and forever. His love never fails. And maybe today we just need to receive that afresh for us. He loves you. It will never stop. It will never fail. Amen. Sally, would you come and lead us as we respond to God's word and just spend this time in his presence, singing. Maybe you want to be sit, sitting and still. We just want to open a time where we invite God by his wonderful Holy Spirit just to come and move in our midst as we respond to him. Sometimes it helps us if we know the songs to close our eyes, but the songs will appear on the screen. But this is between you and the Lord. So let's just pray as Sally leads us. Father God, we thank you for your incredible love for each one of us. Thank you that when we speak of your glory, we know that you have revealed it as your goodness, your kindness, your graciousness, your faithfulness, your love. And I pray that even this morning you would pour out your love upon us. And upon this broken and hurting world, that all may know that you are good. So Holy Spirit, help us to be aware of your presence now as we come to worship you through songs of praise, through heartfelt cries to you, we receive your love afresh this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, if we're able, if you'd like to, as we worship together.